I mean, I think in the current global environment, there are kind of three things all occurring at once. One is geopolitical. There's a war in Ukraine, of course, and that's distorting the flow of, of goods uh, and services around the world. There's a supply chain restructuring. Uh, that's the outcome of, of COVID and kind of this intensified kind of multipolar world where countries wanting to and companies wanting to get supply chains from multiple points uh, or production of, of goods and services from multiple points so that they can avoid those disruptions in the future. And then you have kind of a global energy transition underway. Uh, and that global energy transition has resulted in a number of local content pieces of legislation. What you're seeing is kind of these three trends starting to overlap um, and drive kind of a change of globalization towards more localization or trying to bring manufacturing or major projects back um, to specific countries or specific regions. A global shift is underway. The trend toward deglobalization, influenced by our climate crisis, the pandemic experience, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and growing attention to dislocation and inequalities within national economies, has caused many countries to turn inward. Advocates of free trade as the answer to global growth face increasingly tough questions. Rana Faruhar, veteran Financial Times journalist in her new book, Homecoming, says place-based economics lies at the center of an emerging order, which encourages businesses to reassess the value of localized suppliers and supply chains rather than relying exclusively on highly globalized ones. It also puts business resiliency on par with efficiency. In other words, it acknowledges that chasing profit solely by maximizing efficiencies puts businesses at risk in times of shock or uncertainty. Increasingly, place matters, according to Faruhar. Local options can make for better, stronger, more resilient networks. That's the same discussion many development practitioners are having now. So let's join the conversation between international development and global business. From DAI's global development team, I'm Megan Howe, and you're listening to The Practice of Partnership, a podcast about how local partnership is the cornerstone of sustainable, impactful development. On this episode, we dive deep into local content policies and see how these mechanisms are working for big companies, small businesses, and benefiting emerging and advanced markets. So, local content measures, what are they? Fundamentally, they are government policies that require companies or investors to use or purchase a certain proportion of local materials or services to be allowed to operate in a given country or market. Local content policies, sometimes known as in-country value, 
are most often used in extractive industries, where large oil and mining companies are required, for example, to hire a certain proportion of local staff or use a set proportion of local companies within their supply chains. These policies are intended to protect and develop local economies by ensuring that local communities derive economic benefit from the operations in question. But they are mutually beneficial in nature. They help reduce business risk and can help boost local economic growth. You heard earlier from Patrick Henry at DAI's Sustainable Business Group. Here he is again. Multinational corporations often have local content mandates within their companies to ensure that they are able to basically obtain a social license to operate, that they, they have the political backing and will to operate their projects in a given location. For a local company, it provides a market for its goods and services. And because it's an international company that they're working with, it allows them to become more globally competitive. They build in place the systems, procedures, processes they need to respond to um, kind of tenders from international companies. From a labor side, it upskills a local workforce. It allows employees uh, to gain technical level skills to the standard needed internationally. Patrick says that given the global shifts underway, acceptance of local content policies is growing. These policies are helping businesses combine cost savings with growing resiliency. The kind of push for local content uh, allows costs to not always be the driver, um, whereas kind of lean supply chains um, really focused on cost perspective. And that's not necessarily the case these days with local content. Local content has a bit of a more cost up front, and that seems to be acceptable to uh, companies and governments that these things might cost a little bit more in the short term, but building those workforces and suppliers has greater economic value over the long term. When local content policies work well, they benefit industries and local economies. They help foster economic growth, stability, and resilience, rather than lopsided growth in a single area. That's something that the energy industry in Mozambique and Guyana has been working to foster. My name is Barbara Habib. I am a member of DAI's Sustainable Business Group, living and working in Mozambique. So I am Natasha Gaskin-Peters, the director at the Center for Local Business Development in Guyana. Natasha and Barbara both lead business development centers. Mazup in Mozambique is sponsored by oil and gas Area 4 partners of the Ravuma LNG project, including Mozambique Ravuma Venture, a joint venture between ExxonMobil, ENI, and CNPC. GALP, COGUS, and ENH are also concessionaries. The Center for Local Business Development in Guyana is sponsored by ExxonMobil and their partners. These centers work with local companies to build their competitiveness and capacity and to comply with international standards and requirements. Mozup's objective is to build the capacity of local companies so that they can become more competitive and capable suppliers, not just to the Ravuma LNG project, not just to the oil and gas industry, but across all growing sectors of the Mozambican economy. The Center for Local Business Development was set up back in 2017. And so the mandate of the center is really to build the capacity of local Guyanese businesses so that, you know, we build out a supply chain that ExxonMobil can use. But also the mandate of the center is broader in a sense that we build the capacity of all businesses across all sectors 
So whether you're in logistics, transportation, um, construction, mining, we work with all businesses across all sectors because one of the uh, benefits of the oil and gas um, sector, of course, is that you have a lot of spill-off or multiplier impact into other sectors and into the economy as a whole. So this is why, you know, we focus a lot on businesses as a whole for sustainable development and also for inclusive economic growth so that, you know, we can have businesses growing together and, and you know, we don't drive inequality in the country. So that that's a very important role that the center has. Natasha says the local content policies in Guyana have effectively supported company operations and the local economy. Local content is good for business. It's often cheaper. And so for any business that is looking to build out um, in any country, uh, local content development becomes important. It's also good for a company as a whole to, to show the impact they've made. And given the size, of course, of the fine, the magnitude of the fines that we have in country and the long term, it definitely makes sense to ensure that you build out your, your local base in country. And you have a supply chain that can service uh, the sector, you know, you're able to tack tack into the local labor force. So again, it also helps you to reduce costs, but it has wider community benefits and and wider economic benefits to the country as a whole. Natural resource development in emerging markets can be make or break for economic growth. For example, in 2015 in Mozambique, high levels of sovereign debt low commodity prices, and delays on final investment decisions in the energy sector caused GDP to plummet. But growth has recovered, and the World Bank predicts GDP growth of 8% in 2024 once the offshore oil and gas projects reach full capacity. Likewise, oil findings and investment in Guyana in 2015 led to an explosion in GDP growth from $4 billion to $15 billion in just seven years. Presently, Guyana is the fastest growing economy on, on the globe. Of course, we would have had our first discovery of oil back in 2015. And so this has really propelled our economy. And so that growth continues. Um, we have seen, um, uh, of course, a massive change in terms of our gross domestic product uh, as a whole, but also our gross domestic product per capita because Guyana does have a very small population. So given this fast pace of growth, um, as you can imagine, there are lots of opportunities for businesses in terms of business development, but also lots of opportunities for the people in terms of employment um, opportunities. The economy has almost doubled within a five-year period uh, in terms of what we are seeing in country. And of course, with that economic growth um, comes economic development. And so a a lot of the revenues um, that are being collected from the sector is being used to propel things such as the construction sector, for example, uh, infrastructure, a lot of infrastructure being built out, not only for the oil and gas sector, but a lot of public infrastructure or roads uh, and so forth. The trick with all fast-paced growth is to ensure inclusivity. Extractive industries and local content policies have a role to play in ensuring growth benefits the masses. This is key to avoiding the so-called resource curse, the paradox that occurs in countries that are rich in natural resources, but which face worse development outcomes, more poverty, and less democracy than those without. Here's Patrick again. When you're dealing with extractive industries, you often get into the area of the resource curse, and the problem there 
uh, is that local content um, can either help try to avoid that or can kind of drive that. And what I mean by that is local content can be utilized as a springboard. It can help de develop sectors that are broad and overlapping in the economy. And then those economies can drive uh, the growth or diversification necessary. Or it can be very specific that it's trying to drive uh, the build out of an industry. Um, in that case, economically, it starts to pull in resources, pull in labor or pull in businesses that might have worked in other sectors because it gets too large too fast. Patrick says extractive projects have intensive periods of capital investment in short timeframes. If investment is only focused on one sector, it can drive inflation and inequality. That's something Barbara and Natasha are particularly focused on, ensuring that businesses across the board are growing, not just businesses that could contribute to an extractive supply chain. Here's Barbara. Um, Up was established as a cross-sectoral enterprise development center. We don't just work on supply chains or um, what you would think are traditional you know, oil and gas supply chains. We focus on um, supply chains relevant to the agricultural sector, um, to the tourism sector, to uh, the fishery sector, to the, you know, logistics and transport, and a lot of other supply chains that are relevant across all industries. Um, so I think certainly this is a way to avoid um, the resource curse to make sure that the economy and the capacity that you're developing is not just reliant on this one sector of the economy. Here's Natasha. We also have companies that are part of the wider economy that are here taking part in the training and they're expanding in construction because of the infrastructure projects that are occurring. And because of the health and safety mentoring program that they've been in, they've managed to win a work that they, they couldn't before through, you know, entities like the IDB because now they've built capacity. And so for us, um, as a center, you know, while we can focus on some of the technical companies that we've seen such significant grow, growth, you know, the welding and fabricating companies and the machine shops, um, we've certainly also seen growth in the smaller companies such as, you know, some construction entities. And even for companies uh, that are women-owned and engage in consultancy, they are seeing massive We have companies that do, you know, personal care, such as massages and so forth, and they're also seeing growth. So the growth has been, I would say, very much a wide region. Focusing on inclusivity and ensuring businesses across sectors are gaining the skills they need to grow can reap excellent results. One is a company that we've worked with um, called Lien Luana. It's a local women-owned catering company um, and that has participated in many Mozup services and activities. Um, and they're actually the first Mozambican catering company to be certified in ISO food health and safety management systems. Um, and after going through all of these activities with Mozup and obtaining certification, they've attributed their ability to win new contracts in the energy sector to Mozup support, um, both to the certification, but also through improving their ability to respond to tenders um, through our procurement trainings and advisory. They won the largest contract they've ever won, uh, providing more than 1,500 meals per day. 
um, since they've, uh, as a result of Mozup activities. That sort of success has been similar in Guyana, too. Lance Gordon is the business development manager at Atlantic Marine Supply. Well, Atlantic Marine Supply is incorporated. We've been in business um, for just over 16 years. In 2007, when we started, it was basically servicing the local fishing industry, the commercial fishing industry. Um, in 2015, when Exxon, Exxon first discovered oil, we started that transition uh, because we knew definitely that was the next big thing in there. Um, fast forward to now, we would have seen tremendous growth in, in, in our business. Atlantic Marine Supply is now two businesses, one that serves the oil and gas industry and one that serves the fishing industry. He says the Center for Local Business Development was a key contributor to the company's success. Uh, we began a lot. And I, I think, you know, in one of our earlier discourse, I would have mentioned that we, we kind of like absorbed everything. We were we just wanted to know everything about the industry. And all of the information was right there available at the Center for Local Business Development. Prior to oil and gas, while we knew what we were doing in terms of procedures, uh, work processes, policies, everything was known verbally. We didn't have a documented quality management system. So those 200 hours that we worked along with the consultants, that enabled us to, you know, to build policies, build procedures. He says local content policies were critical to giving companies like his the ability to thrive. What the local content policy allows is for local businesses to have a level playing field with international companies. Because prior to the implementation of the local content um, law, we, we, we were struggling. Struggling in the sense of every company can or any company can bid or supply uh, from overseas and they're not entitled to paying the duties or taxes that the local companies are entitled to pay. Um, there's now the schedule of products where uh, it's available in Diana, so you need to consult with local companies before you can try to procure overseas. Um, we're now seeing a lot more requests and purchases being made from local companies. In terms of employment, we are seeing increasing in, in locals now because there is that 75% of management and, and 75% of directors. Local content policies can provide an opportunity for win-win partnership and greater economic growth, supporting businesses across a variety of sectors to feed into global supply chains, meet international standards, and hire more workers can help de-risk corporate investments and ensure local communities benefit from those too. Next time, we're off to Lebanon to talk about how partnership can help catalyze investment in one of the world's toughest economies. We'll talk to local businesses and investors about how they are working together to thrive, despite a difficult political climate and high inflation. The Practice of Partnership is a DAI production. Check out our show notes for the links to the research we used in this episode. If you liked the show, leave us a rating, or you can get in touch with me, Megan Howe, on Twitter. For more information, visit our website at DAI.com 
slash practice of partnership dash podcast. See you next time.